One thing I would usually advise people on is, um, you know, think about the team that you're building. So I come from restaurants, I come from service industry, and it became very clear to me early on in my career that I, in order to achieve the goals that I want to achieve, I can't do it on my own. I actually have to have a team under me. And when I was kind of like an arrogant, cocky college grad, I thought, you know, this team that I was put in charge of were just like numbers on a spreadsheet there to like help me achieve my goals. But really, you know, your team is your team is one of the most important assets you can build. It's no different for a startup. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Justin Rowe. And uh, Justin, uh, had, in his own words, had a, a normal high school experience, uh, uh, was a C student and uh, liked to play during school and uh, then uh, graduated and went to work in the restaurant business. Um, also got a uh, degree in general, or a general business degree in college um, and uh, work, or worked at a restaurant for a period of time as an assistant manager ended up uh, running or ended up running uh, over a, a, a restaurant for or running a restaurant, not running over a restaurant for someone else and then uh, discovered LinkedIn and shared his journey um, and then connected with a group of people that were looking to build a, a chain of restaurants, um, opened up a potbelly restaurant and then acquired three additional ones and then uh, started kind of more as a side hustle uh, LinkedIn outreach that later be became an agency. Uh, sold the side hustle, but uh, kept a small portion of the agency that he's still running and uh, and is opening another office for the agency. So with that much as introduction and hopefully mostly accurate, welcome on the pod our podcast, Justin. And it looks like you may be on mute, Justin. So uh, oh, my bad. I'll, I'll say it one more time to even make it a grander end or entrance. Welcome on the podcast, Justin. I appreciate that. And yeah, that was a, a pretty accurate uh, introduction. I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to be here. Well, awesome. Well, excited to have you on and looking forward to a, a great discussion. So so now as we uh, or, or kick off the podcast a bit, you know, I, I gave the the quick 30, 000, or 30, 45 second uh, overview of a much longer journey, but let's uh, go back a bit in time to tell us a bit how your journey got started is uh, in quotes, uh, average uh, average high school experience. Yeah, I can I can definitely dive into that. Um, you wanna you want me to start back in the kind of the the high school college yep. phase and Just, uh, start where the journey begins, and, uh, and then we'll uh, move our way to the present. Yeah, I like you said, I I had a pretty typical high school experience. Um, I went to a public school. I played soccer. I wasn't that academic. Um, I felt like I was smart enough to get by without trying too much. So I didn't try too much, which usually landed me in the CB territory um, without studying too much. So I coasted through high school, coasted into college. It was kind of the same, except at college, I I discovered I actually really like numbers and finance and business. Um, I wish I had taken more marketing courses. Um, it was more heavy in stats and finance. And then I ended up just graduating with a general business degree. Um, but then, yeah, life kind of 
I was the first to graduate uh, college in, in my family. So I didn't really get like, that was the big advice is go to college and finish. It wasn't like, I didn't know about internships and getting relevant experience. And, you know, that the idea that my general business degree wasn't actually going to end in something like tangible, like accounting or, um, you know, some kind of job waiting for me. So I took, I took work where I could find it. Uh, which was in the restaurant industry where I had the most experience, um, started as assistant manager, making 24K a year. And the one good thing about uh, restaurant industry is that there was kind of a lack of quality talent leadership. And I, I managed to move my way up pretty quickly to managing my own restaurant, training other salaried managers um, to the point where, yeah, I, I discovered LinkedIn to try to find better opportunities for myself. And I took a very aggressive approach, especially at that time, this was six, seven years ago. And I was sending 50 connection requests a day to people that might have opportunities. So hiring managers. Yeah. yeah. Jump in really quick, just with a question. So, I mean, during this time, you know, you discovered LinkedIn, um, but you were, you were still, as I understand it, you were still working in the restaurant industry. And I think you mentioned that you started out as a, as a restaurant assistant, you know, you worked your way up to assistant restaurant assistant manager, if I can't get too tongue tied. Um, and then you ended up uh, kind of taking over running that restaurant. Is that kind of where you were at as far as kind of the, the full-time gig as you were starting to discover and uh, dive into your LinkedIn journey? Yeah, at the time I was a general restaurant manager. Um, so I had I was in charge of my own restaurant and I was training the salaried managers in the surrounding area. And I I had gotten burnout. I kind of um realized that I didn't want to move up in that ladder. So I was really looking for other opportunities. I I really had kind of been disillusioned to like moving up that that ladder and was looking for something else. So yeah, I, I took the LinkedIn to try to see what else was out there. Um and that's when, yeah, I took that approach of just aggressively growing my network in a targeted way. And I didn't really have a good plan other than I'm going to add people that may have opportunity. And it worked really well. I would advise anyone who's looking like if there's job seekers, that's still one of the best ways to probably find opportunity is in your specific area, start growing your network in a very targeted way. HR managers, district managers, company owners, recruiters in your industry, bring them in and introduce yourself. Um, but that, that kind of flow opened up tons of opportunities, interviews, job opportunities, and then probably three or four months in something very specific kind of changed instead of just job offers. I started getting approached by, um, investors who were looking to build restaurants, but were looking for operating partners. And in this whole process of growing my network, starting to post a little bit, I had become a visible restaurant operator in my city on LinkedIn, which, you know, happened accidentally, but it's also really easy to do because there's no, especially six years ago, there's no restaurant operators who are trying to dominate their city on LinkedIn. There still isn't. So if that's, if that's what you're trying to do, there's still no competition uh, in your city to be the, you know, the most visible, whatever. Um, so I actually took uh, someone up. I had three or four of those offers. Uh, one of them, seemed most attractive to me. And so, yeah, we opened up a potbelly sandwich shop in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then a year later, um, kind of convinced the investor to buy three existing shops in Louisville, Kentucky, made the move. And then now I was kind of a district manager slash part owner of a small franchise. Mm -hmm. And that's when things really started 
opening up an opportunity because two things happened. A, I realized the power of LinkedIn was pretty incredible. And then B, I had the kind of job that gave me time and flexibility. It was very heavy lunch focused. And I had lots of free time in the afternoons, weekends. It wasn't something that was like overtaking my entire life. So I had the kind of the time and freedom to start building something on the side. And that's when I kind of started a little side hustle of trying to essentially help other people do what I had done with LinkedIn, grow a targeted network, um, produce opportunities. And it quickly turned from helping you know, job seekers and and solopreneurs to helping companies use a process like that to bring in leads, find targeted prospects, reach out to them, uh, start conversations and generate leads. So it turned into a lead generation agency and we scaled from, you know, a, a dozen clients uh, when we LLC'd it to 210 active clients at one time um, in this probably a couple of years ago and then went oh. through the acquisition. Yeah, let me ask you, maybe rewind just a little bit, because one of the things, because I mean, this started out as a, a side hustle. Hey, I don't know exactly how I'm going to leverage my, maybe LinkedIn or my network exactly, but I think there's an opportunity here. And then it presented itself as you were doing or got more involved in the, the restaurant industry and going through that. But then as you, you know, continued to go down that route, started the agency now, how did that work with the restaurants you're at? Did you just one day say, hey, this has gotten big enough. Now I'll leave the restaurant industry and go LinkedIn full time with lead generation. Or did you keep your foot, you know, one foot in each camp or kind of how did you make that transition or kind of how did you to go through that? I, I kept one foot in. I'm a very practical kind of person. I mean, I don't think you can be an entrepreneur without taking risk, but I'm also very much about taking calculated risks. So I kept the full-time job at the restaurant um, for as, as long as I could. I was working both essentially full-time. I got to the point where I was actually making as much from my side hustle as I was from my salary from the restaurant. So that was a really good place to be. And then it kind of, my hand kind of got forced at one point, um, the pandemic hit uh, and restaurants got hit hard. We were laying off people, reducing our, our staff. And it seemed like the perfect opportunity. So I had two choices. I either had to cut staff at the restaurant and dive into that um, in order to save labor, you know, make room, make, make room for my salary. You know, it can't be on top of these. I would have had to run a store again. And that would have probably meant I couldn't continue to grow my startup or I could pull back from the restaurants, drop my salary off of the books, um, which you know, would free up time or free up the the finances for, you know, those stores to run with the GMs and other people kind of looking over and dive into the startup. So um, my partner actually approached me. Uh, we we had a conversation. It, it almost just, I don't even know who suggested it first, because I think we're both thinking the same thing. He knew I was doing that side hustle and it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. We both agreed, hey, you go do your thing. Um, you know, he'll, he'll make sure the restaurants are still going. We have a great team in place. And I kind of got the blessing to dive in full-time to my, uh, startup. Um, and so then I went from kind of double the income to at least replacing my full-time income, um, which was okay. And then, uh, yeah, just really dove in full-time from there. And, and that's kind of forced my hand. No. And that, and so makes, makes sense. You know, you kind of get hit with the offer with the not as much i was gonna say opportunity but with the reality of hey 
industry is changing a bit. I have to either adapt or decide which way I want to go and what the best prospects are. And then you make the decision and go accordingly. So I said, okay, you know, restaurant industry gets hit hard pandemic, got the side hustle that is continuing to be better prospects and continuing to grow. So as you made that leap, you know, when you initially made that leap, you know, how did it go? Was it, Hey, put all the time and energy in the side hustle. And you kind of mentioned replacing your um, salary and did that continue to expand or figure things out or kind of how that transition go from taking it more as a side hustle to your full-time focus? Yeah, it was, it, it, I probably got pretty lucky as far as the timing. So I was, I got into LinkedIn and into LinkedIn lead generation at a time when it was getting a lot of traction, LinkedIn lead gen, especially the automated type of outreach became really popular around that time. Um, and I learned, so it actually grew pretty quickly. Thank, thank goodness. I didn't experience any major setbacks in that first, you know, six months from that transition. Cause that could have been pretty bad. Um, we had a good ramp. So probably that from the, from the year that I dove in full-time, I, I was able to almost get back to that point where I um, had like the dual income again. So mm -hmm. I went from like doubling my income to at least like being, you know, replacing my old income and then growing it over the next year to almost be at that, um, that place where I was before. And then from there, I, I, I was pretty aggressive in my, in my growth strategy. So I took what I needed to basically pay myself and I rolled most of it back into the company, into marketing, into um, kind of creating a good foundation to grow from. Um, so I was pretty aggressive with my with my growth strategies. I guess that got me in trouble sometimes because there was times where I was forced with a decision uh, to, you know, I mean, we were making plans on on big record months, and then we would have some hits and some back some setbacks, and. That was probably what some of the hardest lessons I learned. And I was faced with decisions of, do I, you know, cut back a couple of my team members, um, kind of uh, like let a people, let a couple of people go. Uh, do I cut back on my marketing and potentially slow down our growth that we've kind of relied on? Or do I take out a like working capital loan from PayPal? Um, so there was, there was a, a few occasions where I took out working capital loans from PayPal in order to make payroll without sacrificing any team or marketing spend um, because I was I was really dependent on paid marketing to kind of fuel this growth. And then I needed the team that I invested in to execute. And it would be a huge setback to cut off either of those. So, you know, I made those bets and and took the loans. And that was that was a fun chapter and and some some big bets, I guess. No, it sounds like it was, you know, and it is one of those, it's hard. You want to reinvest, you want to continue to grow the business and yet you have to, you know, balance that with cash reserves and keeping enough to keep everybody busy and keep them uh, going and fuel the business. And so sounds like you worked your way through it. So now as you, and one of the other things you know, I think you mentioned is, is, you know, at some point you sold off a part of the agency and kept a part of the agency yourself. So maybe give us an idea how did or how did that come about? Yeah, so so we got we got pretty deep into the the lead generation side, and one thing that I'd art I'd always known is that you know eventually we'd have to kind of pivot or spread into other areas because LinkedIn lead generation, specifically the kind of automated lead generation that we were doing, was kind of like building a castle on the sand. Like we knew that LinkedIn algorithm could 
really destroy that opportunity. Um, you know, if they limited the number of connection requests you could send per day, which they did, if they released a patch that could better detect automation, um, you know, all of these things, like if they started banning client accounts, like we would hemorrhage. So I slowly started to um, build out the LinkedIn ad side. And initially, um, around this time, I, I was actually approached on a Facebook ad of all of all things, they targeted me with uh, the offer of a free valuation. And I had never even like really, I mean, I had kind of like thought and guesstimated like maybe what this thing is worth, but I'd never even thought to get an like official valuation. So they got me with that hook, which is really nice kind of like lead gen model for them. They offer the free valuation. And then of course their next play is, hey, we also have a great network of buyers. We would list it for you for free. Um, so they did the valuation and it was, it was more than I thought it was worth. And it was, it was like that number where, you know, it wasn't like some crazy number that I could like not work anymore, but it was like a number where I was like, okay, well, if someone approached me today with that, with that in a check, I would, I would give it real deep thought to actually selling because I had never thought about like selling. It wasn't like a goal of mine. It wasn't my intention, but if someone walked up to me and actually offered me like that amount, like. I would be stupid to not at least consider it. So then it really got me thinking. And so I let them, I let them list it. And as I, you know, I don't have to pay anything unless I actually accept a deal. They find a buyer, I accept a deal. They'll take a percent. So I said, okay, because now the, the next thing is like, you can tell me it's worth whatever, but is someone actually willing to pay that? Like I was pretty skeptical. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I didn't know like their capability or their network, but um, we went with uh, website closers uh, was the company, um, and they did a great job. They they have a great email list of buyers. They have a great marketing strategy. They had probably in the first ninety days, I had five or six different people that were kind of interested, and uh, some of them were really lowball offers. It was really easy for me to say no. Some of them were like interested, but it really seemed like they wanted to like use our company for scrap and just get rid of most of the team, which I had never even thought about that either. Like, do I care? What, I mean, I almost thought like, you know, it's business as a transaction. If someone buys this, like, you know, it's up to them what they do. But then I actually realized I really care what they would do with the company. Um, <laughs> sentimental value. I, I I love investing in the team. So it then it then got me thinking like, I really need, if I'm going to do this, it has to be the right person. I And I care what they do with the company. So that was a learning experience because I'd never thought about that Um that that other side. So uh, I I interviewed with a few of these potential buyers, and then it became kind of like a two way interview. Like I was really curious what their vision was, what their you know abilities were, and then it became very clear. The other lesson through that that I never thought of is um, there was the potential for someone to buy the majority share, but for me to stay on and continue to run things, which never crossed my mind as well. I thought someone would buy it. I'd have to find a new job. I hadn't even thought about that. I'm not ready to make a new startup yet. I don't got any crazy ideas going. Um, so then I said, you know, that, that was really appealing thought. Like, so you're saying I could cash out a decent chunk for what I've built, but not have to find a new job and still get paid to do like, keep building this thing with my team. And I'd still be in control. Like that sound, that's sounding really good. So once, once I got two of those offers, then I was almost convinced like, yeah, if I got the right person, I would take a deal like that. Um, and it all kind of came together where there was an investor who had no intention of running on his own, had no intention of micromanaging 
or getting rid of the team. In fact, the team was a big part of what he wanted to keep intact and wanted to have incentive plans and agreements to keep us together um, and wanted to additionally infuse you know, a bigger investment and make investments in our growth over the next couple of years to, to make sure that you know we reach um, certain growth size. Because the other part of it was, if you only sell a portion of the company, when it sells again, you have another chance to get a piece of the pie. And if you partner with the right person who can accelerate that growth beyond what you could have done yourself, your second sale, even at a lower percentage, could be bigger than your first one, which again, never crossed my mind. So it's like all these scenarios that had never crossed my mind. It was such a learning experience. Due diligence was ridiculous while you're still trying to run an agency. Um, so it was a really good experience, um, but also uh, pretty hard and and uh, and difficult to navigate while while still trying to run a business. No, makes uh, and uh, makes uh, perfect sense, and uh, sounds like quite the journey. So. So you sold off part of it, stayed on to still run it, manage it to a large degree, um, maintain that opportunity. So now catch us up a little bit to where you're at today. Are you still with there? Do you still run it? Do you manage it? Do you have any side hustles? Got a different direction? Any or all of the above? Retired mm-hmm. and living on an island area? Wherever. Give us an idea of where you're at today. So I I did take the offer. I sold I sold a good chunk of it, the majority share. Um, I did agree to stay on and continue to run it. Um, I was given a pretty nice incentive plan to get back even more percentage of the ownership over X amount of years and some uh, additional earnout if we have growth over the next certain growth metrics. So I, I was properly incentivized to stay on and to care about growing it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a year in, uh, it's been about a year since the sale. So we're now in year two, I've moved into more of the, the marketing role. So tech, I, I call myself like founder slash CMO, even though I guess technically I'm still the CEO. I've really dug into the marketing side. I have someone who's running the sales side, someone who's running the operations side. Um, we've completely pivoted into the LinkedIn ads, uh, side of things. That's 95% of our. Uh, revenue now um, versus you know what it was when we sold it was like ninety percent uh, LinkedIn outreach and lead gen. Now we're ninety five percent. So we successfully pivoted into a LinkedIn ads agency. We also rebranded. It was called Link and Learn before, and now we're Impactable. Um, Impactable dot com. Uh, the investor bought that Impactable dot com domain. I think for uh, 25 or 50,000, he paid more than I probably ever would have for a dom- domain, but I've seen some domains go for a lot of money. So I think he paid 25 for it. Um, and at this point, um, we are, we've, we've gone, we've really transitioned also up market a little bit, probably in the last six or seven months, we've worked with more funded startups than we ever did, uh, previously. Um, and, and so we're attracting a much higher tier of client, uh, longer longer cycles with us, uh, better LTV. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty happy. The team is growing. We we actually opened up a physical office. We were fully remote before. We opened up a physical office in San Antonio. Uh, so there's about eight full time people there. The rest of us are still. Um, so we're about a little over twenty staff right now, and we're trying to focus on growing that San Antonio office. Um, and kind of what's next is the other thing that the investor brought to the table is, uh, he is a, he's heavily invested in data over the last, I don't know, 
20, 30 years. One of his first companies that he founded was SoftServe, which has 13,000 um, employees. And then he has a, a dozen other um, companies. So what he brought to the table is we now are introducing some, some SaaS and data offerings um, with data acquisition, uh, our own kind of tools that we're bringing to the table, LinkedIn ad scheduling, um, a kind of audience tuning, some additional filters beyond what LinkedIn offers, and even like some of our own uh, we're working on a LinkedIn ads library. So some of that stuff is really cool that I would have never had kind of the access to bring to the table um, and, and kind of infuse this as like in tech, a tech enabled service uh, company, which is kind of what we're morphing into. Um, so that's kind of cool. And, and yeah, I don't have any side hustle currently. I'm still growing like my personal brand on LinkedIn. I mostly just talk about LinkedIn ads and marketing in general. I did create like a, a little... Uh, side website for like possible marketing consulting um, at one point, because I, I thought maybe, you know, it'd be nice to have something on the side, but uh, this is going really well and it's kind of all consuming. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty properly incentivized um, over the next few years to make this grow. So, you know, if I want to make the most money I can, I'm actually properly incentivized to put all my effort into growing this uh, at least for the next four or five years, probably. Oh, that's awesome. That, that sounds like uh, it sets you up to, to be in a great situation where you can continue to work in, on in, on the projects and with the business that you love and uh, also uh, provide a bit of a, an expanded opportunity on things. So that's great. So, well, as we're now wrapping towards the end of the episode and uh, we're at the present day of your journey, always a great time to transition to the two questions I always ask at the end. So we'll jump to those now. Um, so the first question I always ask is, um, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what'd you learn from it? Um, probably the, the worst business decision I ever made was, uh, I mean, I, I can't really say, I would say not diversifying my, my acquisition channels enough. I, I was way too dependent on, um, LinkedIn and LinkedIn ads at one point. Um, well, and it's been different things. Like at first I was way overly dependent on Upwork. Um, when we, when I was first a freelancer, that was like 90%. Uh, and then something would change, my rating would drop and like those leads would dry up. And then it happened again with LinkedIn, um, where, uh, because of a, a copyright name infringement, um, LinkedIn sent us a cease and desist letter over our name, Lincoln learn, because it was too close to LinkedIn learning. Um, we lost one of our main acquisition channels, our ad account, uh, over that. And those really hurt. So one thing that biggest mistake I've learned from is to diversify my acquisition channels, uh, not be overly dependent on one. Um, and I'm, that's why I really focus on like a multifaceted channel approach now, uh, cause I've been burned a few times and it hurts a lot. <laughs> Well, definitely, you know, it's one where it's kind of a hard balance in the sense that if you diversify too much, especially early on, then you can lose focus, you can lose your messaging and people don't know why they would even want to hire you. And on the other hand, if you get too niche or you don't have enough diversity, then it sets you up that you can get hammered. And so um, yeah. definitely, you know, easy mistake to, to make, but definitely a great one to learn from. Yeah. Second question I now always ask is now if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, the one thing I would usually advise people on is, um, you know, think about the team that you're building. So I come from restaurants, I come from service industry, and it became very clear to me early on in my career that 
I, in order to achieve the goals that I want to achieve, I can't do it on my own. I actually have to have a team under me. And when I was kind of like an arrogant, cocky college grad, I thought, you know, this team that I was put in charge of were just like numbers on a spreadsheet there to like help me achieve my goals. But really, you know, your team is your team is one of the most important assets you can build. It's no different for a startup who you hire, the time and effort that you put into investing in your team is going to be like your growth multiple. Um, you know, it's going to get you through the bad times. If you have a loyal team that you've invested in, they're not going to jump ship, um, you know, for a little more money or when times get rough. And they're going to be a team that can really stretch and, and help you grow and train the next layer. So, you know, not just hiring robotic minions that do what you say, but hiring people that can think for themselves, that have thoughts that um, you can develop and invest in uh, is probably one of the, the biggest things that has been true for my career in the restaurant industry. And now again, in the, the tech and marketing um, startup no, it sounds like uh, it'd be a great piece of advice and uh, definitely makes sense. And I do think that, you know, that team or team can make or have a big impact for better and for worse and uh, yeah. on the business and uh, to make sure you have that uh, right team in place is a, definitely a great uh, takeaway. Well, as we wrap up, um, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Um, the best places usually are, you can email me, justin.r at impactable.com. You can visit our website, impactable.com, or you can look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Justin Rowe. Uh, usually I'm one of the top results that would come up there. Um, we also have a really nice YouTube channel, probably one of the biggest resources for LinkedIn ads on YouTube, the Impactable YouTube channel. So those are probably the best places to find me or our company. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect, and uh, otherwise uh, engage with you, whether it's on uh, LinkedIn or, or YouTube or anywhere else. And if nothing else, make a new best friend. So yeah. <laughs> well, with that, thank you again, Justin, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you, the listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, if you can make sure to Click share, subscribe, and leave us a review. It helps us to share all these awesome journeys with even more startups and small businesses. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. So thanks again, for uh, Justin, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Awesome. Thank you.